0: United Soccer Coaches is proud to bring you the weekly United Soccer Coaches podcast, covering all aspects and all levels of the game we love. The United Soccer Coaches podcast is presented by Team Snap and hosted by veteran soccer announcer Dean Linky, the longtime television and podcast voice of the association. Now, here's Dean with this week's show.
1: Another big time show for you today. We get things started with part three of our five part series with the Latino soccer coaches. Advocacy Group and Julio Serrano. It's Heritage Month. Today I'm joined by an old friend, Rafael Amaya, Rafa as he is known. He was a member of the Colorado Rapids when I was with them from 96 through 99. He was beloved in the community for his tireless work with the youngsters and now he's doing it down on the border in Texas, flying back to Colorado to see his uber successful family. But man, this guy is is a great story. He is all about the future as he tries to create the next members of the U.S. national team. And he's doing it down there on the border of Texas, right across a stone's throw across to Mexico. Rafael Amaya is up first. Then we're joined by Mike Cullina who is a U.S. soccer at-large board member who is working with Lynn Burling-Manuel and Andy and all the people at United Soccer Coaches to try and get United Soccer Coaches a seat at the table to vote for the vice president and president of U.S. soccer. He's getting closer, and he gets us updated. Up third, we're joined by Jeff Kinney, UAB, the Blazers, now in his second season, leading the UAB men's soccer team. Yes, they're playing some games in Conference USA. Love his story. He played at American, stayed around, and was assistant coach at American for a long time. Then went to Virginia Tech under Mike Brizendine for seven years. Interviewed for jobs. Didn't get them. UAB came open. He decided to just be himself, and it worked. He's now in his second season, and they're winning games down in Birmingham. And then we finish with a new segment, Big Ten and Ten, this time Women's soccer, and we start with the Minnesota Golden Gophers. Stephanie Golan, who played at Duke, coached a few places, was at Army before she got to Minnesota, now in her ninth season. And Rashida Beal, former Big Ten Defender of the Year, a woman of color. Minnesota has hired a black assistant coach, which is huge. A former player, Maya Hayes, from Penn State. So I like that story as we continue that dialogue as well. And all of it starts after this message from our presenting sponsor, Snap.
0: Does managing your club or league feel like a second job?
2: Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by Staff, as we continue our five-part series with the Latino Soccer Coaches Advocacy Group as it relates to Heritage Month. And this is the third part of the five-part series. I got to tell you, folks, I'm super excited because I've known this awesome person, awesome coach, great player for a long, long time. Rafael Amaya was part of the Colorado Rapids when I worked for the club, was the TV voice of the club. And he's doing great things. He always has done great things in Colorado. Now he's doing it down on the border of Texas, way down the border. You can't get any further south, according to Rafael Amaya, as he is with the RGV FC Toros, Rio Grande Valley FC Toros. And he's got an academy going that is flourishing. He has placed players in MLS over the years. And, Rafa, great to be reconnected with you, my man. How you doing?
3: How you doing, Dean? Thank you for having me. Um, More important, uh, keep doing the things that we love, coaching, teaching the game, promoting the game at all levels. Moved from Colorado, still home. Colorado will always be home. Great experiences watching the league grow and what it is today. Had an opportunity to come here, work with the USL next to Wilmer Cabrera and Houston Dynamo. And the partnership they have with the USL, where players go back and forth to stay on top of their game, and so really more player development. And within five years, we build an academy that also has a school through idea todos and really giving back to the game that's given me so much and blessed. I uh, also gotta thank my family because without them and watching them grow, and this would never be possible. So. I'm excited. A lot of talent in the area, and one of the biggest things has been most of the kids will grow and always look into the Liga MX because we're only two hours from Monterey, Mexico. where it was one of the hotbeds with soccer. Due to the border bordering situations now with the COVID, obviously, we can't go over, but there's tons of talent. So my goal was to teach them that academics go hand in hand with the sport and teach them how to look north and look at the United States and how to go to college and what to do in the process, because soccer is only going to last for so long. And at the end of the day, that passion that these kids have, a lot of street bowlers turning into learning more about themselves and the game and the academics and and still keep supporting all those that have made it to MLS and open doors for others.
2: Well, even when you were a player at MLS for the launch, I feel like you were already doing this kind of work. You are already were looking forward with the notion of you want to give back to the game that gave so much to you. This passion for you started early, right, Rafa?
3: Yeah. I mean, I've kind of looked at it. I came to the States from South America, Colombia, and I was given an opportunity to the Pilates soccer camps and actually my former coach and big mentor, Arnie Ramirez, with LIU basically gave us an opportunity to go to school in the States. So with that, I've always had that opportunity to give back. And I think at a young age, you're either a superstar or you're a team player, and that's that's kind of where I feel I am, a team player, and have learned that And through every program that I've been, really pushed the kids academically. But being in the pro, we feel that we need to sell the game and be more involved Uh, back in the different leagues that before MLS came along. We always had to be in the community, going to school functions, going to hospitals. And when I got here, there were some people that, that really, I'm like, I didn't even know where it was. And then all of a sudden, you see that you change lives, that you can keep helping. And it also changes your personal life in, in giving back. And I enjoy it, and I think it comes from my family. Back in Colorado, we had at the Five Points area where we're supposed to be back then a low income area we created a program that allowed kids we did a gang prevention and reading programs but many kids from there ended up going to college and moving on it so that kept going it started with me in san jose and mls the first ever you know mls in first game and it's just and on and on and on and i think again us as former players we're probably the closest vehicle to opening doors for others and i'm blessed for it and i and i'm very thankful
2: well, how hard was it to leave Colorado, although it sounds like your family's still there, so you're back a lot, but what was the final tipping point for you to say, you know what, I'm going to join Mr. Cabrera, and I'm going to make this happen? So <laughs> I came to
3: help out with the tryout, and uh, Wilmer, if you recall, was assistant coach with Oscar Pereja in Colorado, so I stayed a lot in touch with all the, all the teams and whoever was coaching in Colorado with the pros. So he asked me if I come down and help him out with the trials for the for the first team. So I came down. I remember so much because every Christmas for thirteen years while in Colorado we were always either at the Disney showcase or another and I had told my family, man, this year I'm gonna be home for the first time around Christmas and so I said to to Wilmer, Yes, I'm gonna I'll help you out but I didn't ask when, when it was. <laughs> when I received the plane ticket, it was Christmas Day. I almost I almost died, but came down here, and there were about 200 guys for tryout, people hungry to see what the next level would bring, and there were players coming from all over for tryout, and so there, kind of in the moment, I didn't think anything about it, knowing that Colorado was home, and right after everything was done, they said, hey, would you be interested in being the assistant coach, and then also start a youth academy, and I was like, me leave Colorado? I don't know. I... I've, I've, I've had my whole life there. I do travel everywhere. I go around the world, do licenses, do a whole bunch. And then yet, I got to meet a gentleman that built the hospital, who graduated out of Harvard and UCLA. And when I went into the NICU, and that he runs, he actually talked about his experiences. And as I'm coming out of the NICU, I look to the right and I see these little hands and names, in, in date. and dates, and kind of like, it hit me right there, I say, well, God put me here for a reason, and uh, giving back, realized those were his trophies, and why not start building something that, that had more meaning down the road, and now it's going, and it's happening, but it's been a team effort, I go to Colorado every two months, go visit the family for a week, work a lot here during the week, and just keep helping moving the kids on, and hopefully one day. U.S. soccer has been here. We've actually held the qualifiers for the Women's World Cup. We've held the Olympic qualifiers. We've held CONCACAF, beautiful stadium, beautiful facilities. You would say, wow, this is in the middle of nowhere. And everybody that comes and sees it, really in that area, I go from home to the fields and then from the fields back home, especially with COVID. But Colorado, always be home. I mean, I go back. I I was with Marcelo. I went to Watch training right now, obviously. Robin Fraser, a former teammate, now doing really well with the Rapids. We had a good one hour conversation and, and, you know, it just goes on and on. We have so many, when you look at that picture from back in 96 with Marcelo, with Trichu, with every, uh, Chris Henderson, Peter Vermees, we're all still involved in the game and we talk to each other and we're very close.
2: I love your vision, and I love the fact that in many ways you're doing it for a higher calling. But for some of the folks that don't know how incredible this RGV FC Toros Academy is, I mean, it started small. Now I understand you might have more than 300 actual attendees. Like, can you give paint us a picture of how beautiful and how <laughs> successful this academy is? So we
3: started, and it all even goes a little further back. Realize when I have my kids, Rafa Jr., my daughters that ended up going to good colleges and getting an education and still play soccer. Roger Spinoza, calling my adopted son, who's the captain for Kansas City. We homeschool the kids. One, because of the way soccer works. If you are a coach, you will be coaching in the afternoons when your kids are off. And then during the day, they go to school. So I'm like, I've got to find a way. When we reach the final... In 97, which you were part of, we were in DC in that week that we lost 2-1 to, uh, DC United. I was with my, with my wife. I was with my kids and we went to the museum and went to see everything. And I'm like, wow, I guess I'm learning more than my kids about who we are and what we do. When you, you get into soccer, I mean, you, you give it all a hundred percent. And started coming back from there, and you realize that your kids are also talented, but you got to combine education first. And so we started homeschooling the kids, and that gave me more of an opportunity being around my kids, but also realized in order to be a better athlete and a top athlete, you have to
0: sleep better, rest
3: better, study. And we had to change our our schedule so that not only can we provide what they need, but I also provide what I need as a family person. There we realized that our kids, training the morning better, didn't have to get up right at really early, but had a time and schedule between 10 and 1, and did all their schoolwork and then their soccer. So those opportunities, I kept going. I'm like, wow, wish we could have eventually a school where the kids can train earlier. And for a pro team, I looked at it as if you have players that are 17, 18, 19, which we do here, and the pro team needs players by certain positions, that have good qualities were able to combine both with academics. So we started in a rec center where we had 32 students for two teams and ended up being 38. And the parents believed and we did it for two years in the rec center and at four o'clock, the rec center needed their facilities, and then we would go to the field. But today, December 7th of this past year, we got actually our own building. We had 120 students. Now we're fully capacity at 320 boys and girls that eat, sleep, soccer, and academics. And combined, everything is kind of done online. The wife of the owner of Facebook helped donate. We use the summit curriculum so the kids already understand. There's four ways to the program where they have a, a, a teacher 100%. Then as the year goes by, is 80% teacher, more students, 50% teacher, So we really get as close as possible to what college is. And so also, we did that because the dream was always pushing kids to a national team or the pro team. So I get the call from Gerson, who's the head coach. I need a midfield. I need a defender. I'm over there at practice. The kids go. They don't train with the academy. They actually go train with the pro. And then they get back and do their work academically. They never miss class. We got kids, Diego Rosas a few others called into the u.s national team camps they went in never missed school we're getting the kids ready for what we're living all today with COVID. we were ready for it we didn't know this was going to happen so now we have a beautiful school that open beautiful facilities if you come in like most teams that come in our tabramos and mascherani came in for preseason season with houston dynamo and they were impressed and masjani turned around and looked at me and he said you talked about this for years and i'm like well here it is and we're able to show it and i think this is an example that we can help around the country it's actually not a private school it's actually a public charter school and i feel that when i did my coaching directors course it was the presentation i did to u.s soccer And I think this is a model to follow around the country for those inner city areas and those that can't afford. So the kids that play in the actual academy, it's 100% cover. The kids that are in the school, they play in the second team. (laughs) They made it to a point where the kid pays $39 a month to be able to train and play. So really... It's an example, and I hope that many others can follow and,
2: and eventually we can put more kids into those U.S. national teams. Before we wrap up our conversation here, where can people learn more about this academy? Is there a website where people can learn more about it, Rafa?
3: Yes, yes. So there's
2: two. The school is called Idea
3: Todos, so you can go on Facebook and follow us there. And then on the youth club, the rgvfcyouthacademy.com, And you can go in there. Soccer America came out for the grand opening and did a really nice presentation. And Mike Patala was there. And, you know, he was impressed. But more than being impressed, it's about what we can do and what we can do to help others and show them the way. And I think it can be done all over
2: the United States. Finally, you're here as part of this five-part series for Heritage Month. I know you take your heritage very seriously. I know you've got a deeper calling with the man upstairs as well. When you think about your heritage and Latino soccer coaches, advocacy group, what does it mean to you, Rafael Amaya? It means a lot
3: giving back, but it means a lot that kids also have an opportunity that usually don't, especially taking the pay-to-play away, just keep it going, and I think that what We can teach, and they can learn. They just keep it, taking it down the road. One of the biggest things in the programs that every kid also will graduate with their grassroots and be licensed, and I think it's just opening those doors that were open to me many years ago. And like you said, thank you to God, the family, everybody that we've been able to be involved with. Biggest thing, I think, at the end of the day is how can we put these kids, give them the tools to to, to succeed in life like they gave them to me. Thanks to God and thanks to everybody that's involved in the game.
2: As we close out, when Julio Serrano gave me the news and said you were going to be involved, the same feeling I had around Julio Serrano I always had around you, and that is you always had time for everybody, even being a Hispanic in a country where they're not always welcome with open arms. You still were able to fight through that. I feel like Julio is the same. So when you see Julio now doing great things during this all-important time in our country, how does that make you feel, Rafa? It feels great because it is a big country. You have to divide
3: yourselves in many. I think that Julia's done a great job putting people together and, and, and more younger people that will have an opportunity. Being Latino, America's made out of many people from many countries. And so I've actually talked to the kids about, here's 98% Latino, so I had to push away the way to show how to go north, which is the rest of America. And it's not just Mexico, Costa Rica, all the countries. We're all living this world together and we can all make it a better world. But under each of these kids that we're working with, there's going to be, I've always said that U.S. national team jersey. How can you make, be proud of yourself, be proud of your heritage and where you come from? But two languages are better than one. And don't seclude yourself just with Latinos. Seclude yourself with the rest of the country and this world that we live in, especially in these days with all this black people matter. Everybody matters. And I'm proud to be part of this and help in the process and keep moving forward and keep learning from everybody.
2: Rafael Amaya, you talk about a man who always has done what he said and said what he would do. He's continuing to do it to help people that need help and and creating great paths to the next level. Rafa, it's been an honor to reconnect with you. It's been an honor to stay connected with you. In fact, even if we don't talk all the time, I do feel connected to you, and I feel honored to know you. Thank you so much for being a part of this all-important five-part series during Heritage Month. Thanks for being on the United Soccer Coaches podcast, Rafa. Well, thanks
3: to you and to all the coaches and everyone that keeps giving back to the game. And, again, 2026 we got to have quite a few of our kids and those representing the United States. And, and, again, thank you, Dean, to you and your family and watch you a lot and all your shows. And, and thank you for all the support.
1: Rafael Amaya kicking off the show. When we return, Mike Cullina, who is an at-large member of the U.S. Soccer Board of Directors. He's been working with Lynn Berlin-Manuel and the lawyers for United Soccer Coaches to allow United Soccer Coaches to get a vote on the board trying to pass that bylaw. He's making progress. He'll give us an update when we return.
0: Looking for ways to improve your training session? Quick Goal has supplied the highest quality soccer goals, seating, field, and training equipment for more than 30 years. From backyards to the world's greatest pitches, Quick Goal has products essential to every level of the game. As an official partner to the United Soccer Coaches and technical partner to U.S. Soccer, Quick Goal knows what equipment you need to elevate your game to the next level. Visit quickgoal.com to satisfy all your equipment needs.
2: Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by Team SNAP. I'm pleased to be joined by a repeat visitor, Mike Kona, who wears a lot of hats. He is on the U.S. Soccer Board of Directors and at last rep. He is the chairman of the board for U.S. Club. He's the executive director for Prince William Soccer at Great Club in Virginia. He's also the executive director of VDA, and he's the president of the Virginia Premier Soccer League. Mike joins me now. Mike, thanks again for being on the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by Team SNAP.
4: Yeah, it's great to talk to you always, Dino.
2: I appreciate that. And, of course, our biggest update is, and I think it's worth bringing it up again, is Lynn burling Mangle is working hard and working in collaboration with you, wants a seat at the table, and the table that we're talking about is the U.S. soccer voting table. What's the latest on United Soccer Coaches' pursuit to, to have a seat at the table?
4: So we took – the last couple of years, working through the amendments that were presented and trying to get feedback from various folks within the National Council to ensure that this year we have really taken care of all the questions. And so I submitted a bylaw amendment, which we wrote really starting back in Nashville, where I got a group of at-large member organization representatives together to look at the bylaw itself and they went away and brought some ideas to me and to others about how we could best address this issue. I gathered more feedback from folks and, and essentially put together the bylaw amendment, went to Lynn and, and her team. And I think generally we're in a really good spot. So it's already been submitted. Essentially, it's pretty straightforward. We've got a couple of pieces that we wanted to address. One is the voting structure itself within the at-large group. So if you have a member with no registered players, we wanted to make sure that we align that with the other members who do register players. And so we looked at the, the tiering of votes and, and wanted to make sure that we weren't overly heavy-handed. We we looked at our group more as, as the Senate than the House of Representatives, where it's closer to one state, two votes, but there is some weighting that we needed to address. We needed to address the ability for organizations who don't register players with the federation to be able to come into the group and essentially get enough votes to take over the seat and outnumber the group who does and regardless of how far fetched that scenario is we wanted to make sure we eliminated it so we did those we're also looking to take the seat from two years to four years it's having sat in the seat now for just over a year and a half it takes a really long time to get to understand how everything works and become a, a more productive member of the board. And so if we're looking at two-year terms, my fear was that you wouldn't be able to make as big of an impact as a member of the board when you're essentially running for re every two years. And we did the same thing with U.S. Club. We took everything to three years for that reason. If you remember, the athletes took their seats to four years a few years ago for the same reason, and I think others are interested in, in doing the, the same thing, I think. The youth council and the adult council should should consider this same. So, that's where we are with the bylaw. I have sent copies to the folks that we think we need support from. Feedback has been very very positive so far. So I'm optimistic that that this year we will be able to ensure that United Soccer Coaches has that seat at the table, and will have a vote for the at-large representative on the board of directors for U.S. Soccer.
2: So, the next step is the AGM, which is what, January or February of 2021? They haven't officially called
4: bylaws yet. They will. Bylaw amendments are due at the end of October. So, the, the next step is it goes through rules committee, make sure that, that the language is right. There's nothing that they would ask us to change. And at this point, even if they made, we can make changes because it's submitted. So, that's the next step. And then the the actual vote, correct, will be at the AGM at the end of end of February in Chicago, which is largely going to be a virtual event this year. It's a hybrid, going to be a hybrid model, but that's where it would be taken up. The question will be then, would they actually get a vote in the 2021 election for the at-large, or would that not take place to the following year? So we want to make sure that they can actually vote in 2021, especially if we take the term to four years. That's the next step.
2: Mike, I mentioned all those hats, but one thing that I admire about you is you take every hat seriously, and you wear every hat, not compromising the other hat. With that, you've been a longtime member of United Soccer Coaches. Remind all of us why, in your at-large position, you thought it was important to help Lynn Burling Manual and help the association get this bylaw passed
4: They're a member can't be any simpler than that. They are a member of U.S. soccer, and to be able to – they certainly have a vote for president and vice president, but if, if you sit in the at-large group, and they're the only ones that can't vote for the at-large representative, that that to me didn't make any sense. So there was never a question about whether or not they should. It's, it's how do we make that happen. My involvement from the 90s, you know, with United Soccer Coaches and, and teaching an occasional course, it, it really didn't have a lot to do with it was more, we have an organization that's a member of U.S. soccer, and they can't vote for their representative. It didn't make any sense. So we we addressed it.
2: It's not always easy to speak for others, but how are Lynn and Andy and the gang at United Soccer Coaches feeling about the progress uh, you're making and that you're all making together? Well, I think they're grateful
4: that, that they have some support now. Uh, there seems to be The at-large group rallied behind them, and we thought we had that support a couple of years ago when it was first introduced, and and for some reason that wasn't enough. But I think they're grateful for the support. I I think that being able to navigate behind the scenes where – there was some hurdles and how, how we overcome those hurdles, I think, was really useful. So hopefully they appreciate that. But their interests were were always very clear. We're a member of US Soccer. We'd like to have a vote for the At Large Ref. And I think it is it's a little bit tricky because anytime you don't necessarily control the process, that's a challenge, right? And so I think in the past when they've written the bylaw kind of on their own, it became a little bit more difficult to get past but you felt like you controlled the process this year when we got a number of other folks involved and make sure we have the right support that's awfully helpful of course but it is you don't control the process the same that they did before but i don't think they care how it gets done just that it gets done
2: well indeed and let's end with this at a time where we're all looking for some good news because it's been a rough rough year i know it's not done but i feel like we can almost take this one to the bank. Mike, tell me uh we can, you know, smile a little bit, feeling pretty good about where we are. I wouldn't go that far. I I, I feel very
4: good about it. Uh, I certainly wouldn't take it to the bank. But I do feel pretty good about it.
2: All right. Mike Colonel, he says it the way it is. Mike Kona, all those great hats, including the at-large rep and pushing for United Soccer Coaches to have a vote at the U.S. soccer table. Thanks for Joining us yet again, Mike, always a pleasure. Thanks, my man. You're welcome.
1: Great to get that update as we walk into October today. Thanks, Mike Colinoff for all his work on behalf of United Soccer Coaches, and let's hope, indeed, that we can take it to the bank, and United Soccer Coaches will, indeed, have a vote at the U.S. soccer table. When we return, we dive back into college soccer. UAB, the Blazers, are off and running. Their second-year man, Jeff Kinney, has done a great job he put in his time at his alma mater american university spent seven years with mike Brizendine at virginia tech had interviewed for other jobs got the nod at uab and he is off and running you'll like his story jeff kinney top man for uab men's soccer when we return
2: Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap. College soccer is happening, not everywhere, but it is happening in college USA. That means UAB is out there getting it done. We're pleased to be joined by their top man now in his second year, Jeff Kinney. Jeff, welcome to the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap.
5: Thank you. Appreciate your time. Thanks for having me on.
2: Yeah, pleasure to have you on. You're already playing some games. Just talk about what it's been like navigating your second season with COVID, yet, having the opportunity to get out there and get some games for your young men
5: well first off we feel very blessed to actually be able to play i know a number of coaches are out there just struggling because this is what we love to do this is what we do and unfortunately just training day in and day out without matches it gets old for anybody coaches players and the like so we feel very fortunate that we work for an administration that has found a way to keep our players safe and allowed for us to do what we love to do. When you're going into a preseason, not necessarily knowing what the season is going to look like, it can become difficult. We went from a point in preseason where we thought our conference was playing, we thought we were good to go. Then the conference went ahead and moved everything to spring. We were told from our compliance staff that meant that we would have to follow into a non-championship season. And during that 48-hour period, we saw a huge shift in the mentality of our players that were excited, ready to go, and then all of a sudden it was just this kind of punch in the face that, now our season isn't happening. Fortunately, our compliance staff kind of looked those things over and talked to our administration and the coaches alike, and we were able to get our full season in as much as possible.
2: Now, as you're starting to play some games, tell us about your team, how they look, and what do you like about your team?
5: Unfortunately, the spring was going to be extremely important for us because we were trying to really focus on a style of play that we just couldn't pull out and be – anyway competitive last fall so with spring games which obviously results always matter but they don't go down in the record book you try to do some things a little bit differently and try to play some guys in spots that you may not have the time to train them in in the fall and so losing out on that spring season based on COVID hurt us and having said that I think the guys did a really good job preparing themselves as much as possible getting into preseason so we kind of got into preseason we're working really well early fitness wasn't an issue and our style of play has been, in the past, a little bit more direct than I wanted. And so the last couple of games have really been focusing on trying to keep the ball a little bit more, building from the back, allowing some guys more freedom attacking-wise, and just to play in a system that's exciting to watch and be a part of. And unfortunately, we're on the short end of a game over the weekend, but after watching the film, I was pretty excited about the way our players played and um, scoring some, putting some good chances on the board and things like that.
2: I love your past, particularly because, if you know, United Soccer Coaches used to be the NFDA Game of the Week. My broadcast partner was Keith Sabasnik, who played at American and then went on to a great career at Georgetown. You played at American where you got a degree in physics. You helped guide the Eagles to consecutive spots in the NCAA tournament in 2001 and two. Your Honor is a two-time Patriot League academic honor roll member and academic All-America. And you stayed at America before getting to Virginia Tech. What do you like about American University so much?
5: Well, American's a great place. I mean, Washington, D.C., for those that haven't spent much time there, is an unbelievable city. I do recommend if you go, you don't drive, though, because the traffic is a disaster. American will always have a special place in my heart. The campus is, well, typically you don't find city schools that really have a, a campus that feels like a normal college place. AU was like that for me. Uh, the style of play from the, the previous head coach was very possession-based, and I was a central midfielder, so it was important for me to be on a team that liked to keep the ball and maybe not play as direct. And unfortunately, it probably cost us a few games here and there because we gave up some goals having tried to build to the back, and it cost us. But, you know, I have great memories of that place. Obviously, I stayed there for a long time and
2: coached. I know the staff there now will do a great job moving forward as well. Now, when you were done at American, you moved up to the ACC, Virginia Tech, and looking at your timeline, I'm pretty sure you were on the bench when Virginia Tech beat Indiana in a game I called on the Big Ten Network in the NCAA tournament. I'm pretty sure you were with Coach Brizendine at the time, I think, if I had my my time right. Talk about the, the time you spent with Mike and at Virginia Tech.
5: Yeah, you know, I just got off the phone with him about a couple, maybe two hours ago. Briz and I are extremely close. We, we had an interesting working relationship because we were probably more like brothers than coworkers, quite honestly. And because of that, I think it allowed us to do some things that maybe other staffs don't get done. We could have some honest, hard conversations together where a normal assistant probably wouldn't be comfortable doing that kind of stuff. But Briz allowed me to kind of be who I was and it really helped me become the head coach I am today, quite honestly. He gave me um, a lot of flexibility with the team. That Indiana game is just one of those games where, quite honestly, we weren't the best side on the day, but we just scored our chances, and we had a couple great goals and a couple good players step up when they really need to be. Our goalkeeper being one of those players made some big-time saves throughout. But that will go down as, for me personally, one of my favorite
2: soccer memories for sure and probably helped propel me to where I am today. Wow, I love that. I like that tie-in. So – where you are today is the top man at UAB. What do you remember, Coach, about the interview process, getting the opportunity to come in and be the guy who calls all the shots after working at American and working at Virginia Tech? What do you remember about that process? What do you remember about getting the, the call that said, hey, you're our man?
5: Well, you know, quite honestly, I've been through the process a number of times at other schools, and it just didn't work out for me one way or the other. As a young coach, when I was in my maybe mid to upper 20s, I would go in and I'd do all this research and try to figure out what the athletic director would want from from me personally. And I would try to become that person, kind of show them this is who I could be for you and what would be successful for you. Truth is, as I've kind of gotten older, I realized that at the end of the day, i got to be who I am. And I think more than anything else is that's genuine. You know, so if you step up to an interview and you just tell them who you are and they like that and they appreciate it, that's where you're going to find success. If you tell them you're something you're not, and that's what they're expecting, it probably won't go well for you in the long term. So that was probably the biggest difference for me. Now, I will be honest, I didn't think I was going to get the job. The interview process was very different than what I've been on in previous times, where I had very little time with what I would call the decision makers. I'm very close with athletic directors here and RSWA, but at the time, I spent most of my interview with 20 of the other lower-level staff members, and I'd done my research. I'd got to know who those people were, so I had no problem carrying on conversations with them and letting them know what I was about and my thought process and how I was going to build the program and things like that and what's worked for me in the past. But on the way back home, I was telling my wife, and she was all excited because we'd been offered a a previous position that she didn't really want to go to. The location-wise didn't really work for her. She was like, you know, this is the job. We're getting this job. And I said, look, Kim, I'm not getting this job. I want to be very honest with you. The interview I thought went well, I didn't have – Great vibes from the top brass, and I don't want to get your hopes up. And sure enough, an hour later, I got a phone call from Mark Ingram saying, would you be our guy? So it was just interesting how it ended up working out for me, which was just very different from any of the other previous times I'd been interviewed. But after getting the job, I quickly found out the way the athletic director works here, and I can appreciate this, is he said, look, I needed to hire a guy that the staff that's going to be working with them on a daily basis once around and that was more important to the guy that I'm going to see maybe you know 15 to 20 times a year. And I think that's how he may have based his decision.
2: Oh, I like that story. Well, obviously, having spent time in D.C. and then Blacksburg, how has the adjustment been for you and Kim and your family down in Birmingham?
5: It's been great. Birmingham is a fantastic city. For those that haven't visited, I highly recommend it. It's obviously not as fast-paced and as busy as D.C., but much more so than, than Blacksburg. You know, I wanted to – be in a location and raise a family that had a little bit more diversity than what, what you see in Blacksburg, honestly. And it's important for me and my family that we're around all types of people and all people that come from different walks of life. And Blacksburg's a great place, and I have great memories there. But typically in a college town, you don't see people that are struggling. In the city, you get that a little bit more. And I think it's important for me as I'm growing, you know, raising kids that they're around that and they realize that they have an opportunity to go out and help some people. So, for me, it couldn't have been a better fit, honestly.
2: Now that you're in Conference USA, coming from the ACC, and now that we're all trying to get through this COVID situation and we know that there are going to be games played in the spring, leading up to what we hope will be a national championship in the spring, which will fall right in line with a lot of coaches from the ACC, Carlos Samuano, one of them, and then a former coach from the ACC, Sasha Sorosky, with the 21st Century model. From where you sit, Jeff Kinney, can we – take advantage of an unfortunate situation and maybe see if it's going to work?
5: I can tell you from a coaching perspective, it could not work out better for me, right? I mean, you actually have some times between games. Unfortunately, we've picked up some injuries that now guys won't be missing the entire season. They're going to miss maybe one game, you know, soft tissue, hamstrings, where in a normal college season, those guys miss half the season. So, you know, when you're talking about development, talking about preparation for teams, talking about, Um, actually being able to coach versus just play a game, recover, walk through, play a game, recover, walk through. There's just not a lot of coaching going on there. And when you have a young team like I do, especially trying to put on my own thoughts onto them, it's important to be able to have that development time. So, you know, from my perspective, it's working out great. I don't think necessarily that administrators would, would love for that to happen, but I think there isn't a coach in the country that would be against it. And from my perspective, how it's worked out so far is proving why we should try to go that
4: direction.
2: Jeff, if you've caught the podcast at all, you know I love to drop names, and i had to drop the name Butte because Gary Butte is one of the top CEOs for one of the biggest clubs in the country at NCFCU. You inherited his son. What's that been like? Because uh, Gary Butte's a big personality, and it looks like his son is delivering the goods for you.
5: Yeah, he is. Joe, I couldn't paint much better things than you have players that you know just by who they are what type of parents they've had and that's Joe I mean obviously I've spent some time with Gary and had a lot of good conversations with Gary and I check in on him every once in a while to see anything I need to be going on with NCFC and ECNL and all that good stuff and quite honestly Joe's picked up his game to a level he's captain for us that we really need to see out of him. I guess that UCA team who made some big time runs in the box, got us two chances, scored both of them. He's definitely on the rise. And I'm hoping that he's one of those players that decides to stick around for an extra year now that he's been granted that with the NCAA. We'll see how that goes. But yeah, it's a great family. I couldn't say enough good things about Ben or, or Joe.
2: I like it. Let's end with this because I love... Coaches like you who put in the work, you know, you had to put in the time. A lot of time it's about, you know, knowing somebody, but you clearly put in the work in American. You put in the work with Briz at Virginia Tech. You seized the day and got your opportunity here. As you know, a ton of coaches are members of United Soccer Coaches. What is your message to some of them that might, particularly during COVID, that might be discouraged? I mean, you're a testament to you put in the work, you get the call. Yeah, I mean, look, the truth
5: is it's not easy and you're going to go through a lot more frustrating times than, than times of glory for sure. It's a little bit like the game, but typically if you put in the work, life will work out for you. And I can remember even four years ago, I would speak with my wife and talking about, you know, what's the next step? What's the next step? And, and for me personally and, and professionally, I always wanted to be a head coach. I knew that from the day my playing career was over. It just has taken me a lot longer than than I preferred. But as life continued, I quickly realized that if I was putting all of my time and energy just into my profession, I'd be missing a lot in in what life has to give. So for any of those younger coaches or older coaches that are trying to get the nod, I want to say, you know, keep the grind, but also don't lose sight on the fact that there's more to life than
2: just your job. So well said, Jeff Kinney. Second year, top man, UAB, the Blazers, men's soccer team. Congratulations, Jeff. Glad that you're enjoying Birmingham, and thanks so much for being on the United Soccer Coaches Podcast.
5: I appreciate it. Thanks for having me.
2: All right.
1: Conference USA is playing. The Big Ten is not playing, but those of you know, I spent a lot of time at the Big Ten Network. We did the Big Ten men's soccer, all nine coaches. Now we start the women. Minnesota, Stephanie Golan, who played at Duke, came to Minnesota by way of Army, where she had success. She's done big things at Minnesota. One of her key players over the years, Rashida Beal, who was the former Big Ten Defender of the Year, now playing overseas. The Minnesota Golden Gophers women's soccer team, Big Ten and Ten, when we return.
0: College coaches, make sure your program is registered for the 2020-21 College Services Program. While the 2020-21 season looks much different than any of us anticipated, we are committed to providing benefits for College Services members year-round. The College Services Program supports and promotes the college game, including rankings and awards for participating programs, regardless of when your season is played. For more information or to register your program, visit unitedsoccercoaches.org college.
1: Welcome to Big Ten in Ten, Big Ten Women's Soccer, a 10-minute look with the coaching staffs from all 14 Big Ten teams and one distinguished alumni. I'm Dean Linke, alongside former Northwestern All-Big Tenner Hannah Davison, now with the Chicago Red Stars, and today we talk Minnesota Golden Gophers with Stephanie Golan, hard to believe now in her ninth season in Minnesota land, and who could forget the phenom Rashida Beal, the 2016. Big Ten Defender of the Year welcome to all three of you
6: thanks so much Dean happy
1: to be here all right well let's get rolling Stephanie obviously it's a strange time but nine seasons in Minnesota you've had an impressive run what makes Minnesota so special
6: Minnesota is just, it's an amazing place. You know, first of all, we're the only D1 program in the state. And so, you know, when teams come and play us, they feel like they're playing against the entire state of Minnesota, which I think is pretty awesome. You know, we've got the college town feel being in between two big cities, excellent education, our facility is fantastic, and we're the team that people kind of forget about at times and then we jump in and, and bite you on the on the back side of it. You know, like we always talk within the program about how, you know, everybody from the outside looking in sees all the challenges and so they don't expect us to be what we feel like we really truly are. And that's a that's a competitor within the, the big ten. And you know, we we've got that little bit of a chip on our shoulder and we love it. And
7: I've definitely been on the receiving end of that at Northwestern.
6: But I think it's safe to say
7: that You guys are no longer really in the process of building something special, but you have created something that is sustainable as you continue to see success year after year. What do you attribute to this success that has enabled you to consistently, you know, compete for the
6: Big Ten title? Players like Rashida Beal, student athletes who see what we see and believe, what we believe in, and and they want to be a part of this absolutely special environment. And you know, they have that little bit of a of a chip on their shoulder and kind of have that every single day, that desire to to prove themselves and to put Minnesota on the on the map. So it's people like Rashida, you know, taking a chance on the on the program and and helping us be what uh, what we are.
1: Great assist by Coach Golan as we go to Rashida Beal. It's like a great pass day in her Duke playing days. Rashida, we go to you, and I got to tell you, a big smile on my face because you were an absolute beast in the anchor, and you were surrounded by a lot of great players. What do you remember about your time as a and Gopher?
8: It was definitely a time that I would go back to if I could. Every year had new challenges and times where you don't want to be running the fitness or it's just tough, but... Year after year, um, we grew as a team. I grew as an individual player and as a leader on the team. So it was really incredible to look back and see how much the program and me and my teammates changed and developed over the course of those four years. And I think we left behind what we wanted to, which was to continue the legacy that we had had from classes above us and continue to bring people in below us that would want the same thing for the program.
7: Not only as a team, we're Big Ten champs, but then tournament champs. You guys were the fourth seed going into the NCAA tournament and then individually earning the team's MVP, Defensive Player of the Year, and an All-American. Can you just talk about how exciting that season was to be a part of?
8: That season was definitely one I always think about and talk about even as I'm continuing to play now. And it was just a really special one because like I said, it was something that was in the process for three seasons before that. It wasn't just kind of a random thing. It was something that we all were working together on year after year until we got to that point. So it kind of was like everything finally coming together. And I definitely attribute my personal success to my teammates in the program because I wouldn't have gotten there without them. Being a defensive player, it's not just about what you're doing. It's about that unit, especially in the back. So I definitely appreciate my teammates at the time. And just the program as a whole was a really good experience. And it was kind of like a awesome way to go out.
1: Stephanie, Rashida is one of several of your players playing overseas now. How does that make you feel when you see your players keep playing at the next level?
6: I mean, that's everybody's dream, right? Like, you kind of want to play as long as you can. And I think especially when you have a good experience in, in college, you know, like, wanting to take that jump and getting the opportunity to to do so is really, really fulfilling for us. And I think one of the things that they learn is how good they have it in college, right? You know, like when you, when you go overseas and you know, the facilities aren't quite the same, you know, the people that you have surrounding your program who really make things go, it's different. And at the college level, so much of it is about the culture. It's about that team. And it changes when you take that next step. So I think that it helps them to be even more grateful for the experience that they had at the, at the college level, you know, but somebody like Rashida who had to really, really fight to get where she is and hit some adversity and setbacks along the way in her journey to still be doing what she's doing is just remarkable. And we're super, super proud of her.
7: Right out of college after that stellar senior season, you're drafted into the NWSL by Kansas city. And then jumpstarted started your international career in Germany. We know the big 10 produces a lot of professional athletes, but I believe in Germany, you actually play with another former Big Ten alum, Patricia George. What is that like to be able to go overseas, new team, new environment, and make those Big Ten connections?
8: Yeah, so it was really special because we actually partly got over there because of Janelle Flaws, also from Illinois. So she had been on the team for about two and a half years and kind of helped us and a few other players. So that was like a really cool experience right off the bat to have other Big Ten people. And I already was friends with Janelle. And then Patricia and I actually flew out of the same airport before we knew each other. And we did become Big Ten frenemies, as we call it. But yeah, it was really great to have kind of that mutual understanding and experience in the Big Ten. So you just have so many connections you don't even realize, you know, just in when we're talking. That was really helpful to have someone else that played in a similar situation. And we already had things in common because of that. But the other Americans also played in really good conferences were there as well. So it was a really... experience to have so many of us and to just have some like Big Ten alumni friends right off the bat was great.
1: Rashida, as a woman of color, now is a big time as we stand against racism and we fight for equality and opportunity. Now Minnesota, under the direction of Stephanie Golan, has just hired a Black assistant coach, which is huge. The Big Ten has a Black commissioner now, which is huge. Talk about the importance of keeping that dialogue going.
8: Yeah, I just think... It's definitely something that can't be forgotten or pushed under and having more, um, well, especially women of color in different positions like that, it's really encouraging and important for players at all stages, you know, looking up to see that role model and to see what they've been able to do. And it really just helps to bring that perspective, which I think is really important. And I was really excited to actually see the hire of Maya Hayes because she was a Player I definitely looked up to a lot and was scared of my freshman year in the Big Ten. So um, I'm really excited to see what she's
6: able to do there and what kind of, she brings to the conversation as well.
1: Steph, comment on the hiring of Maya Higgs. That was big.
6: Yeah, no, we were, we were really excited about it. You know, as, uh, as the position came open and we're kind of going through kind of your Rolodex of people, right? Of, hey, this person might be a good fit. That person might be a good fit. I called Erica and I was like, what's Maya doing? because she had been on the, the staff as a grad assistant down at Auburn when we went down and, and played them in the, in the tournament a couple of years ago. And I met Maya like after she graduated, obviously like we competed against each other, but I met her along the way and had always been impressed by her. And Erica's like, yeah, she should definitely be interested in this, in this position. And it did not take long for it to like really, really click and become evident that this is the person we needed to hire for so many different reasons. But she's here, we're working and, you know, she brings a smile to everything that, that we do, which is just absolutely infectious, like smiles. And you know, you think about back when when you played against her, and like there were no smiles, um, you know. So it's a it's a different different side of Maya that we're we're getting to see, and uh, one that we we hope translates uh, onto the onto the pitch
0: as well.
1: All right, let's end with a smile and ask Rashida Beal this, kind of similar to the first question, but smaller. When you think of the Minnesota Golden Gophers in your time there, what does it mean?
8: It's a really special time. I learned a lot of life lessons, not just about athletics, but it's really a time for me of growth. And I learned a lot of important things there from teammates, from my coaches, and just from my own experience. So it's definitely a time I look back on fondly and I bring those lessons with me in my everyday life. And I would say probably the number one thing is resilience because we were a team of grit, of like that blue collar work ethic all of the years. And it only took the time for us to also develop the unity around that and to be able to get those two big 10 championships because of that so i really take those lessons i learned there and the resilience i gained there through even bigger challenges
1: rashida veal former big 10 defender of the year i don't remember a player ever beating you in the games i was able to call you were outstanding and a great choice by stephanie Golan to have you on rashida stephanie hannah thanks for being with us big 10 and 10 minnesota women's soccer I want to thank Stephanie Rashida and all of our great guests today, as well as Sean Chevrolet and Mike Knipper from United Soccer Coaches and each and every one of you. I'm Dean Linke. We'll see you next week.
0: Thanks for listening to the weekly United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap. To learn more, visit unitedsoccercoaches.org and teamsnap.com.